0: Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. Today I'm flying solo, no co-pilots, but if you're listening and you're interested in coming on the show to review an album with me, I'm always on the lookout for co-pilots to host the podcast with me. There are a few ways to get in touch with me, which I'll go over at the end of the show. So on this week's episode, I'll be talking about Deep Purple's 1972 album, Machine Head. My early memories of Deep Purple are pretty murky. I'm sure I was aware of the rock radio staples played by the band, but nothing ever stuck, And my parents weren't into Purple, so I never heard their music around the house growing up. I do remember there was some buzz when the Mark II lineup of Deep Purple reunited and put out the Perfect Strangers album in 1984. I finally connected them to the song Smoke on the Water. But I didn't get into Deep Purple for the longest time until during the 90s I read some article in a magazine that proclaimed that they were one of the bands that influenced heavy metal. I considered myself a metalhead, especially back then, and so I finally got about investigating Deep Purple's music. I bought a best-of compilation CD and found out that I dug all the songs, so I was inspired to pick up the Purple catalog. Machine Head was the first one I bought because it had a lot of songs I knew on it, and there you have it. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, brought to you by Wikipedia. Give me wiki or give me death! Machine Head is the sixth studio album by the English rock band Deep Purple, released on March 25, 1972, on the Purple label in Europe, Oceania, and South America, and on Warner Brothers in the USA, Canada, and Japan. It was produced by Deep Purple, and was recorded in early December 1971 at the Grand Hotel Montreux, Switzerland, with the 16-track Rolling Stones Mobile Studio. It reached number one on the UK Albums Chart and number seven on the US Billboard 200 Chart, and is certified two times platinum by the RIAA. Now, here's the band's lineup card: We have Ian Gillen on vocals and harmonica, Richie Blackmore on guitar, John Lord on keyboards, Roger Glover on bass, and Ian Pace on drums and percussion. All tracks on the album are credited to the entire band. Now it's time to go into a track-by-track analysis of this album. The opening track is Highway Star. the quintessential Deep Purple song. It's got everything you want. Richie's blazing guitar, John's powerful Hammond organ, Roger and Ian Pace's propulsive rhythm section, and Ian Gillen wailing over the top of it all. This track races along breathlessly, and both the organ solo and guitar solo are astonishing, each blending neoclassical arpeggiated elements at lightning speed. The lyrics are about Gillen's devotion to his badass automobile and how it tears up the road. He even uses a girl as a metaphor for the car. This track does give you a sense of speed, of movement, a feeling like you're in a souped-up vehicle barreling down the highway and fuck the speed limit. This song was originally composed on the spot on a tour bus by Richie and Gillen at a reporter's request, and the band later refined it and shaped it into the song we all know and love. This is a radio staple, and to this day is Deep Purple's concert set opener. It might be a bit overplayed, but fuck it. It's an awesome way to kick off this record. The next track is Maybe I'm a Leo. It starts with a solid mid-tempo riff written by Roger Glover that was inspired by John Lennon's How Do You Sleep and played in tandem by the organ, guitar, and bass. This riff is what drives the song and always returns as the primary focus. There is no chorus. The verses are instrumentally structured like a blues tune, and Gillen sings them like a bluesman. The lyrics reflecting that his woman has left him, he indicates that he drove her away, and he misses her. Incidentally, Gillen was the only astrological Leo in the band. John takes a keyboard solo that isn't overdriven with amplification like how he usually plays, and it sounds like something you'd hear on a Doors record. Richie adds a bluesy solo to take us out as the track fades. I dig this track, but it was rarely performed live in Deep Purple's history. We move on through the album with pictures of home. Nobody's up there. It's a deception. Pace's drum intro kickstarts this rocker that hangs its hat on a catchy Richie Blackmore guitar lick. The organ takes center stage in the verses, providing a haunting backdrop for Gillen's vocals, which are filled with longing and paranoia. The lyrics are about loneliness and homesickness, likely inspired by the band's isolation in Switzerland while recording this album. Richie takes the first solo section, John takes the second, and even Roger throws in a mini bass solo before the song comes to an abrupt halt. But wait, it's a false ending, and the track cranks back up with John and Richie engaging in dueling solos as the final fade-out happens. This song really showcases the musicians' individual skills and underlines how they were all fantastic players. Richie and John utilize their classical music leanings, and Roger and Ian Pace proved they were more than just being no slouches in the rhythm department, and I feel that Pace especially is a criminally underrated drummer. Another great track. For some reason, Richie refused to play it, and it was the only song from this record that Deep Purple did not perform live at all on the 1972 tour. Continuing on, now we get Never Before... This one begins with a funky groove as the rhythm is loose and Richie plays some chunky funk guitar. Then it switches up into another up-tempo rocker that keeps that loose feel in the rhythm and all the instruments stay on the hardest fuck riff in the verses. Gillen sings again of a breakup with his woman and he's just wallowing in his misery. The lyrics aren't anything special, but they get the point across. I dig the descending riff in the chorus along with Gillen's vocal delivery. He knows when to dial in the emotional intensity or dial it back when called for. There's a dreamy, almost psychedelic bridge, where Gillen's voice takes a softer, almost ghostly quality, and the music feels like it's floating in the clouds. I feel like Ian Gillen is an underrated vocalist, as you don't hear his name brought up often when you talk about the great rock singers, but in his prime, he could wail, growl, and scream with the best of them. As always, Richie and John each get a section to play kick-ass solos that grab the ear. This is another rarely performed song, though I don't understand why I think it rocks like a motherfucker. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Smoke on the Water. heard this one before, right? I believe the entire human race has at one point or another. It's that simple iconic riff, the one that launched millions of hack guitarists who muddle about with it as they try to learn to play the instrument. Thing is, the riff is attached to a pretty good song, even if by now most rock fans are probably sick to death of it. The lyrics tell a true story of the making of this album, and it goes like this. Deep Purple came out to Montreux, Switzerland to record this record using a mobile recording studio that Purple had rented from the Rolling Stones. During a Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention concert held at the casino on the shoreline of Lake Geneva, some stupid shot a flare into the roof and started a fire. The casino had to be evacuated, and the funky Claude in this song was Claude Knobs, the director of the Montreux Jazz Festival, who helped some of the audience escape the fire. After the evacuation started, the flames spread out across Lake Geneva, inspiring the chorus of Smoke on the Water, Fire in the Sky. The fire destroyed the entire casino complex, and Deep Purple had to relocate to finish recording. This incident is forever immortalized in this track, and the lyrics, as well as Gillen's vocals, do a good job of painting the details of it. Richie plays a classic solo in his section, and John gets to ride the track out with his solo as it fades. Look, we've all heard this song a gazillion times, but it's the most recognizable tune in the band's catalog and will remain its lasting legacy to the casual fan. And what's wrong with that? I can still dig it. This was released as a single, and it reached number 21 in the UK and number 4 in the US. The penultimate track is Lazy. When you first hear this, you might think it's an instrumental. John plays a lengthy, slow-developing organ intro that leads into the main riff, played by Richie and then joined by John. I gotta give it up to John Lord. He approached the keyboard as a lead instrument, not just to provide background atmosphere and color. He ran his Hammond organ through a Marshall amplifier, and that gave his tone a heavy, guitar-like feel that is a hallmark of the Deep Purple sound. Add to that John's classical music training, and his fingers flew all over the keys so fast that he could easily keep up with Richie's guitar histrionics, giving the music a powerful one-two punch that gave Purple the flexibility to branch out into territories other hard rock bands might not dare to go. The rest of the band come in on the tune, and then they launch into a bluesy jam with Richie and John swapping leads. It's not until 4.22 that Ian Gillen comes in, and when he does, it's almost a disappointment. He sings a straight-up blues number in which he complains about how a certain somebody is so unmotivated and possibly depressed that he or she refuses to get out of bed, no matter what Gillen says or does. Gillen also plays a harmonica solo that's serviceable but unspectacular. It's the longest track on the album at over seven minutes, and it's a long-standing lie favorite, and I dig it, too. But fuck, I'm bound by my own rules to pick something as my least favorite. And unfortunately, this really is just an extended blues jam. Therefore, it pains me to call this Aaron's Stinky Stinker, even though I really think it's pretty fucking great. And that brings us to the final track, Space Truckin'. Once again, John leads off with a memorable rumbling riff and Ian Pace adds a driving beat before the full band crash in on this heavy-ass stomper. Gillen really belts out the vocals, which describe space traveling around the stars with music in the solar system referencing the Milky Way and Borealis, as well as the planets Venus and Mars. Yeah, the words are pretty silly and stupid, but who cares when the vocals are this good and the chorus is catchy as typhoid fever. Richie gets a short solo this time, and lo and behold, Ian Pace grabs the spotlight with a polyrhythmic drum solo that just butters my bread, if you know what I mean. The chorus returns, and Gillen rips out some fantastic screams while the track fades. It's a pounding beast of a tune, and I fucking love it. And it's also another radio and live staple for the band. Let's go space truckin'. Now that the track by track is completed, I'll go into my final thoughts and album rating. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of mine, all the way down to a 0, which is the equivalent of Raw Sewage. There were three major British bands that emerged in the late 60s that were a seminal influence on hard rock and helped to develop the genre that became known as heavy metal, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, and Deep Purple. For me, though I dig all three groups, Purple has always been in third place and a distant third at that. In truth, it could well be that it was just because I got into them later than the other two, but I also get the sense that to the public at large, as well as music critics, they kind of agree with me for the most part. There's a certain lack of respect for this band I don't feel they deserve, as they can easily go toe-to-toe with Zeppelin and Sabbath, in both the pure ability of the musicians involved, to the quality of the music. You don't often hear about the individual members of Purple stacked up against their counterparts, but they should be, because in my opinion, man for man, they're just as good if not better than the Zeps and the Sabs. Or maybe not, I guess I'm kind of splitting hairs here, but you get my point. I would argue that in a lot of ways, Purple is as influential on hard rock and metal as any band you'd care to name, and that goes a long way towards their credibility regardless of their perceived stature. A knock against them can be made for their very unstable lineup, which changed so often each one needed to be identified as a certain mark. The band on Machine Head is the Mark II lineup, which was the most successful and probably is the lineup you most think of when it comes to this band. And this album is arguably the pinnacle of the Mark II lineup's achievements. At least it certainly is in terms of commercial success, as it reached number one on the charts in multiple countries around the world. And it's hard to argue against it, It's got three of the band's signature songs, including Smoke on the Water, which, love it or hate it, has entered the public consciousness and is part of the culture. I give Machine Head a resounding five. And though Deep Purple might not be my favorite hard rock band, in their prime, they could give any other band on earth a run for their money. So they have my utmost respect. And from Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, John Douglas Lord. Rest in peace. This is the part of the podcast where we like to thank all the listeners who downloaded, liked, shared, or just listened to the show. We're so grateful to you all for listening, and we hope you continue to stay with us as the podcast goes on. We'd like to see some iTunes reviews, or any reviews for that matter, as it makes the podcast more visible to people who may be searching for a show like this one and don't know about it or how to find it. There's also a Facebook page for the R4 Podcast, which is open to the public, so you can go there and post your opinions or music-related articles or even individual songs. Go ahead. Don't be shy. When you get down to it, the podcast is about music, and music can bring people together and make a community. At any rate, thanks again for your continued support, and rock on, everyone. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Tune in Google Play, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact me directly, I can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. You can also review the show on Facebook if you'd prefer to do it that way, and yes, I'll read your Facebook review on the podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with me? Shoot me an email and we'll set it up. I'm always looking for co-pilots to host the show with me, and I would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. I'd love to hear from you. And lastly, here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later. I'll be talking about Deep Purple's 1972 album, Machine Head. Deep purple. Oh yeah, baby. Deep purple. We're going deep on this one, folks. We're going really deep. We're getting way down there. We're getting so deep, you won't be able to come up for air. I mean, we're talking deep. We're going deep into the color purple. Deep purple. How deep are we going? Really deep, people. (laughs) Why the color purple? I don't fucking know because deep orange sounds fucking stupid. That's why.